we're in a series that we're calling God able to work through the worst. Not through the perfect, but through the worst. And today we're going to be talking about, well, remember last week we talked about a lady named Rahab? Well, Rahab the prostitute and how God still worked through her specific situation, even as broken, as bad as it was. Well, today we're actually going to be talking about her great-great-grandson. That lady, Rahab, last week, her great-great-grandson is who we're going to be focused on today. And his name is David. His name is David. He's a, a king of Israel. You probably, if, if, if you don't know who David is, uh, King David, think of David and Goliath. You've probably heard that story. David and Goliath is a story in the Bible. And that David, who you know does the little sling thing and whacks the big giant Goliath, uh, that's the guy we're focusing in on. He was actually a king of Israel. We're going to be focusing in on uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7. So let me pray, and then we're going to just dive right in, if that's okay. Today, we're not going to read and pray. I'm going to actually read a little bit, preach, read a little bit, preach, read a little bit, preach. Is that cool? Cool. Let's pray. Lord, uh, thank you for this time to be gathered together. Lord, I'm excited about what you want to say to us today. Because oftentimes you're not just speaking to our ears, but you're speaking to our hearts. You really are the shepherd of our souls. And Lord, I know out of at least this room, the person who needs a shepherd of his soul more than anybody else is me. Uh, the the, the subtlety of sin in my life, the way it slips into my mind, the way it slips into my heart and activities, the way it the way sin just seeps in so easily is, is alarming to me, Lord. And I know for me at least, I need to be hearing from you and your voice. And I thank you for this opportunity to get to hear from you now, Lord. And so as I have that kind of opportunity, privilege to get to share that word, I pray that you would help me, Lord, to kind of, I guess to more disappear up here that there's kind of a fading out of Seth and that you, God, would kind of fade in and, and become the clear picture of what we're, what we're focusing our attention on. So Holy Spirit, please come now and fall afresh upon us. Move over us. Move over our hearts and do a work in us that only you can do, God. Steer this time, direct this time, please, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Second Samuel chapter 7, verse 1. Why did I pick this? I don't even fully know other than I think it's a chapter that really gets at the heart of what I wanted to say today. What we're really focusing our attention on is God working through the worst of families, okay? That's that word family that comes up. So today, if you have a really crappy family, it's good to be here. It's good to be here. If you're one of those families that everything's good and everything's figured out, you know, 
okay, just kind of stake around, uh, stick around. But today, I really want to share uh, what, what was put on my heart is really to speak to the person whose family is just crazy messed up. Your family is just psycho, people. It could be a media family, could be extended family, could be, could be stuff where you've been part of just, you know, brokenness for decades and decades, and it was your parents and their grandparents, their parents who brought this kind of just junk into it, and it's just generational now. It could be all sorts of different situations and scenarios, but I especially want to talk about God working through the worst of our families. And David is probably part of the worst family that I could think of in the whole Bible. And that might surprise you. That might actually take you by surprise a little bit. Um, Because a lot of times we don't think of David like this. But David is part of a crazy messed up family. And this particular chapter is incredibly important as you start to dive into David's broken family. So let's just read a little bit and then I'm going to share a couple thoughts. And we're just going to go after it that way today. Now, when the king lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all of his surrounding enemies, the king, this is David, said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And the ark of God was basically like this. It was this box that, that God had had designed and it was essentially the idea was wherever that ark was that's where god was that's where he was sitting that's where he was that's where he located himself and so david's like man i'm sitting here in a in a house of cedar and and the ark is still in a tent and david's like i want to do something about that he says to nathan he says to the uh God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, Would you build me a house to dwell in? I've not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I've been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all the places where I've moved with all the peoples of Israel, did I ever speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now, what's the first thing that kind of stands out to me in this particular text is something like we should be, we should be maybe asking God for advice when we come up against decisions, right? That's the first thing that kind of stood out to me. My first thought is simply, ask God what he thinks about something. When's the last time you've done that? We're not even into the worst of the family yet. This is just little sub points, extra, you know. This is the little extra you get kind of thing. When's the last time you asked God for his opinion on something? It amazes me how quickly I don't do that. It's amazing. I mean, why wouldn't we ask God his advice on something? Like, God, should I buy that house? Why wouldn't you ask God? If God's the one who knows all things, you know, that's what we would say as Christians. We would say something like that. We would say, God knows everything. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. 
And he, so he knows the future. He knows, he knows if that thing's got a leak under the ground. I mean, he knows everything. Why wouldn't you ask him? Why wouldn't you touch base with him? It's interesting. Nathan, I think he jumps the gun a little bit here. That's the way I read it, at least. He jumps the gun and says, do it, David. And then God's got to come to him that night and say, whoa, 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 whoa. I got a different plan. I got something else kind of in the making. Maybe check with me first. Is there something you need to check with God on? That's, that's kind of my basic little first starter point here. Is there something you need to be checking with God about? Maybe you have a big decision. Maybe it's a small decision. Maybe it's not a big deal. But, but, but you're really running off of your own kind of knowledge. You're running off your own wisdom. And maybe you should be checking with God on it first. Is there something like that in your life right now? You know, Isaiah 55, verse 8 says, My ways aren't your ways. My thoughts aren't your thoughts. I'm just, I do things a little bit different, God says. And so you might have a thought, but my thought might be different. And between your thought and my thought, guess which thought's going to be better? And we laugh even about it because we just in, we instinctively, we know this to be true. Because quite honestly, we've made so many mistakes now. We recognize the fragileness of our heart. I mean, if we're honest, we recognize all the times we've tried to make something happen and it's really not gone the way that we thought it was going to. We were going to be with that person and that did not turn out right. We were going to make this decision. We were going to go to this job, whatever it might be. And we were the ones that were making it happen. God's saying, my thoughts aren't your thoughts. My ways are just different than your ways. So my first point is simply, is there something you need to be talking to God about? Is there something you need to be asking him? Let's read a little bit more. Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David. This is God talking to, he wants Nathan to say this to David. This is what I want you to say. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep that you should be prince over my people Israel, and I've been with you wherever you went. I, and I've cut off all of your enemies from before you, and I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly. From the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. I'm going to make you a house. My, my thought here, my thought here is something like, uh, who's been doing all the work? Who's been doing all the work? You know, a bunch of times the pronoun I comes up and God says, I've done this, I've done this, I've been doing this, I've been making the story happen, I'm making stuff happen, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. And I guess I want to kind of ask you that question today. Who's doing the real hefty, the heavy lifting in your, 
in your story, in the story that you're living out in your life, who's doing the real work? Like, who's the one who really got you the job? Who is it that really located you in that particular uh, trailer? Who is it that who is it that actually made it so that you're married to this person? Maybe you didn't check with God. All right, maybe we got to go back to point one. I don't know. Or is God doing something? Who is it that actually, you know, who is it that actually made it so that you have these particular kids or grandkids? Who's, who is it that's actually doing this stuff? Who's doing the work? And it's interesting because God wants David, who, David wanting to build this house for God, this temple for God, God wants David to recenter his thinking on, on God and his activity and his work. Listen, David, I know you want to do this thing, but what I want to remind you of in this moment is what I've done and what I'm doing. And so just for us to take a little bit of time here this morning to remind ourselves who's at work in our life? Who's doing the heavy stuff? Who's doing the stuff that you could never have even dreamt up? I mean, who places you in Porter, Texas? In Kingwood, in Atascas, like, who's doing this stuff? Who puts you in the family that you're part of? Who's orchestrating this stuff? God wants David to know, it's, it's, it's actually fascinating to me that this is the, the kind of start of God's response to David. He says, I want to center you on my work and activity. Don't you remember all the stuff that I've done? What I'm doing? This isn't necessarily God mad at David here. He's just reminding him. And I think one of the most important parts of the Christian walk is actually reminding each other. Um, what is it? First Peter chapter one verse thirteen. Peter says, uh, "Let me just quick find it because now I'm blanking on quoting it." First Peter chapter one verse thirteen. Therefore, nope. Second Peter. What would First Peter have been? That's I'm just curious. Okay, yeah, that's interesting. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 says this. I think it right. This is Peter saying this. Think about that. This is Peter. I think it right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder. As long as I'm in the body, what I'm going to do is I'm going to stir you up. And I think that's pretty much, I mean, you want the kind of life of a Christian, life of a church, that's kind of what we're called to do. 
week in, week out, stir each other up, remind each other of God's work and God's activity in your life, in my life. Keep talking about it. Keep saying it. Two weeks from now, what are we talking about? God and his activity. Three weeks from now, four weeks from now, what are we talking about? God's work, his activity. What are we talking about next year around this time? Next, you know, October, what are we talking about? Are we talking about something different or are we talking about God and his faithfulness and his love and his forgiveness and his mercy? Are we talking about his activity and are we reminding ourselves that he's working a plan and he's working a story and we're part of it and he's doing the heavy lifting? Maybe that's just kind of what we're called to do is just work to remind each other of what he's doing. That's kind of it. That's the Christian life in kind of a nutshell. So if you don't like the story, you're probably not going to like the next week's story and the next it's just cuz it's all about him and what he's doing. Which is so countercultural, right? Cuz our culture is not about God and what he's doing. Our culture teaches you about what you need to do and what you You've got to make happen in your life. And, and this is going to, it's going to start as we move into our third point. If you come from a really broken family and it's all about you and what you're going to do to make all these changes to make your life so much greater and better, you're just going to meet, you're going to be, it's going to really, it's going to be really difficult for you, quite honestly. It's going to be really hard. Because all of the weight and all of it is going to end up falling on your shoulders which is why, as our culture says, you're incredibly free, be whoever the heck you want to be. Anxiety, fear, depression is going up like crazy. Why? Because everybody's got this weight on their shoulders because they're the ones that got to make it happen. Let's just read a little bit. Second Samuel chapter 7. Verse, I'm going to start at verse 11, up here is verse 12, but I just want to read that again. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house, David. You want to build me a house? Guess what? I'm going to make you a house. Follow me here. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. That little word there starts to cue us in that this, this kind of prophetic word is going to move and this is kind of how prophecy sometimes will work. It's going to move here kind of in and out between immediate, which is going to be Solomon. This is King David's son. So there's an immediate kind of peace to this prophetic word and then there's typically something even deeper and it kind of moves in and out of this and we're queued up on the word forever kind of starts to get us thinking about Jesus here even though this is uh where are we at David 900 plus you know years before Jesus comes on the scene he's already going to start talking about Jesus in this particular passage it's kind of in and out of Solomon, the immediate heir, and Jesus, who will be the one to develop a kingdom forever. Solomon's reign doesn't last forever, does it? Lasts for a few years, and then he's out. So what is he saying here? Just follow me here. And I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, 
If he commits, commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But by steadfast love, my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. In accordance with all of these words and in accordance with all of this vision, Nathan spoke to David. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, and this is appropriate, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me this far? Who am I? My main point here is this. God wants to do something even greater than what David wants to do. Now, just think about this for a second. See, see, God says no. God says no here in this passage. David wants to, David has just become king. Um, David, it, you know, it depends on when you, when, you, when you, let me just tell you a little bit, just talk freely here. David is about, I don't know, I guess 15 years old when, when um, the prophet comes and anoints him and says, you're going to be king of Israel someday. We don't actually know when that exactly happens. But he's a, a young man, let's call him 15 years old. David becomes king first at 30 years old. And then it's another seven years before he becomes king over all of Judah and Israel together. And so it's upwards of 22 years, 20 some years, when, 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 when God says, you're going to be king someday, David has to wait 20 plus years before he becomes king over everything. And so now he's the king over everything. He's kind of been established as the main guy now. And David has this incredible thought. He says, okay, I want to honor God. I want to honor God. And I want to do something that will just have him be the center and focus. And I want my legacy to be connected to this. And what does he say? I'm going to go build a multi-billion dollar building. And that's where we're going to put the ark. I mean, this would have been the temple designs. This is one of, if not the most awesome buildings at this time. I mean, this was not just like, you know, throw up the little skyscraper. This baby would be the building on the planet. And David is saying, I want it to be God's. I want it to be all about him. Now that's honorable. I mean, there's nothing wrong with David's heart in that. David wants to do something great for God. And God says, no. Isn't that amazing? I mean, if David would have built that temple, that would have been the thing that we always remembered about David. David was the guy who built the temple. Because that's pretty much what we remember about Solomon. Solomon was the guy who was really rich and he built the temple for God. That would have been a great legacy. That would have been fantastic. And God said, no. Uh-uh. I got a different plan. I got a different way of going about it. My thoughts aren't your thoughts, David. I know that. My ways are a little bit different than your ways. And I'm guessing David would have been bummed out about this. I actually think David would have probably been like, oh, man, are you serious? I really want to do this. I think he'd have been bummed. 
You know, as I think about our church, I think about next year. I get so excited. I got so much, I got so much stuff that God's doing in me. I get excited about potentially buying land, if that's what God wants us to do. I get ex- Not because it's land and because then we'll finally be a church. That's actually a stupid thought. I hate that thought. No, what it is for me is just buy land, because it seems like God's leading us maybe in that direction, and man, how cool would that be to make that in service to the kingdom and maybe even do you know, make more of an impact in the community. That's what I think about. That's what I get excited about. I start thinking about next year, I start thinking about God. Man, you know, do we got enough funds in the budget that we could actually bring in another church planter and, and launch another church planter in this area? Maybe Splendora, maybe Atascacita. I don't know, even know. But God, could you actually be raising up another church planter that we plant out this next year? I start thinking about interns, you know, church plant interns. How could we be investing in the kingdom so that we are, maybe this intern will never even be part of planting in this area. Maybe it'll go plant in a different area and we start impacting the kingdom that way. I don't know. I start thinking about all this stuff and I bring it to God and I'm like, God, here's my awesome plan. Here's what I'm gonna do. Here's what we're doing. You know, what, is, what happens when God says No. And he hasn't said no to those things yet, so who knows where it's going to go. But what happens when he does? How are we going to respond? How are we going to think about it? And there's nothing wrong with those plans. It's not coming from, um, you know, it's, I, well, I hope it's not coming from a bad heart. I want it to be coming from a heart that would honor him and uh, reach even more disconnected people for Jesus. What happens when God says No. What if God says no to your thing? That you're just like, I want to honor God. I want to do it. You know, I want to focus on this. And maybe God says, no, I got a different plan. See, God knew of something more important for David. And you're going to have to kind of stick with me now as I try to land this plane over the next little bit because I don't, I don't know exactly how God wants me to do this, but just, just stick with me. See, David's family is crazy messed up. He's going to end up, David's going to end up getting into a super messed up family. And at this time, as far as I can tell, he doesn't even know it yet. It's four chapters later. Now, he should already be kind of cued in because he starts taking some wives. He starts taking some wives and some concubines. And, you know, if I'd have been there, I'd have told him, buddy, maybe not doing that one quite right. That one's going to end up catching up to him. And there's nothing right about that, by the way. That's wrong. Anytime you come across Abraham and these people in the Bible and you're reading like, well, it's in the Bible, so it must be. No, 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 no. It's, look at it and be like, these people are messed up just like me. Thank God for his mercy and grace. Don't miss that. My point is simply this. David starts bringing some wives in. That's going to end up catching up to him and be a bad thing in the end. Four chapters after chapter seven here, David murders one of his good friends. He has him killed. You can go read about this. Then he he has him killed and he has an affair with this person's wife. So he's an adulterer. He kills his friend. Um, later on, as you kind of follow David, David will have some sons, one of whom 
uh, actually rapes one of, the, uh, one of the other siblings, a sister. You can go read about this. And one of the biggest things that kind of comes up then in that story is that David does nothing. He doesn't discipline anybody. He's a terrible dad. He really is a bad dad. And then one of the other brothers will actually come and murder that brother. So just think about this. He's got two kids, one of which murders another, another kid. And then as you kind of follow David even a little more, there's, there's, there's this murder and stuff taking place and, and the dynamics that are within that I'm sure are crazy. But then the one son ends up trying to kill David and take over the throne. And so these are just some of the highlights. <laughs> these are some of just the highlights. And yet just imagine the discord and turmoil week after week after week after month after month within the family. I mean, it's just, this is an incredibly broken family. How many of us are, with, are from broken families? Like, drugs are part of your family dynamic. You just, you're like, yep, we've done, we do drugs. That's my family does drugs. Uh, how many of you are from places where, you know, hatred is just constant in your family? There's just always hate. And there's, you know, where there's situations of murder, where there's situations of rape, where there's situations of brokenness that just infiltrates our families and we're, we're dealing with these things and we're like, I'm the only one probably. And it's like, no, multiple, even in our church family. So many broken families. Taking multiple wives over our lives. Disobedient children. You and I sometimes, even as adults, being disobedient children. Bad dads. Just straight up, not a good dad. Focused on work way more than the family. Focused on the phone way more than the family. I struggle with that. That's a struggle of mine. I can easily catch myself on my day off looking at this stupid thing over my kids or something like that. I mean, brokenness in our families that just... Messed up families. What David is going to need... See, he doesn't even know this. When this is being told to him, he doesn't know this. So he's thinking, I want to build a house for the Lord. The Lord comes and says, no, I'm going to build you a house. Now, why is that? See, and I'm, David needs something. He doesn't even know he needs it yet. But he's going to need something. Now, I'm going to kind of not talk theologically very good here for a second. Let me just talk freely because this is what makes sense to me. He's going to need something in his life that will kind of cancel out what's coming down the, the family chain. Does that make sense? Kind of. He's going to need something that will kind of, the best way I can say it is cancel it out. And see, him building a multi-billion dollar temple, it's not going to do it. 
He could build two or three of those bad boys. And what he's going to go down with his, you know, taking his last breath and breathe out, he's not going to be thinking about those temples. He's going to be thinking about the discord and brokenness in his family. Unless, unless there would be something from God that could be even bigger. And see, David doesn't even know this yet, but God knows this. So God says, no, you're not going to build me a temple. You're not going to build me a great house. Because David, you're going to need something bigger. You're actually going to be needed. You're going to need to be connected to my story and my work and my activity of building you a house. I'm going to build your family. And this is what God does. I mean, this is one of the most beautiful things. Look at what he says, 2 Samuel, I think I had it up there. The Lord will make you the ha- a house. If you jump forward to Matthew chapter 12, I don't have it on the screen, but if you go forward to Matthew chapter 12, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, one has come, his name is Solomon. Solomon has come. And Solomon is David's son. So Solomon would be a kind of initial fulfillment of this prophecy that God will establish a house and a family line of a a kingdom. And Solomon would be a fairly good king, at least in and out of that for a while. And so Solomon, but he would be, you know, he would be ruling and reigning and he'd be very successful. But then Jesus says this. Jesus says, Solomon has come, yes, but one greater than Solomon is here. Something greater than Solomon is here. Who is that? Well, it's Jesus, right? Jesus is greater than even Solomon. And this Jesus would be the one who does what? He rides into Jerusalem riding on the donkey. And he comes in to not rule and reign the way we thought he was going to, but instead to suffer and to die, right? It's interesting. Right in this section, chapter 12, you jump forward to verse 46. If you got your Bible out, you'll be blessed by this. You jump forward to verse 46. It says that Jesus' mother and brothers and sisters come, and they say, come to Jesus, and they say, we want to talk to you. And what does Jesus say? Let me quick find this so I can make sure I'm saying this right. Matthew chapter 12, verse 46 says this. They come to Jesus, but he replied to the man who told him, and and then Jesus says this, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And he's stretching out his hand towards his disciples. He said, here are my mother and here are my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and father, mother. What's he doing here? What's he doing? Jesus is beginning to show us that what is being promised to David of God building him a family, God building him a house, God building him a line is going to be fulfilled in Jesus And it's in Jesus and his death on the cross 
and in his resurrection from the dead, it will, be, it will be doing the will of the Father, which is the greatest will of the Father we can do is to believe on his only son, Jesus. As we look to Jesus in faith, we are part now of the family where Jesus is our brother. Hebrews chapter 12. Those who sanctify, not chapter 2. Verse 11, those who sanctify and those who are being sanctified are of the same source or of the same one or of the same, I learned, memorizing the NIV growing up, family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. What's being promised to David is a family. What's being promised to David is a family that will come not through um, the physical union of man and woman, but through the working of the Spirit in our hearts and in our lives. Now, I don't want to talk too just like, I don't want to talk too floaty. I want to land this thing. I want to land it on something really solid. And as I was thinking about it, I was like, I just got to show you this picture. Here's a picture of last Sunday after church. Last Sunday after church, this group, some from our church, this is a small group that meets on a regular basis, okay? And this group met together down at Crimson Heights, which is a kind of a nursing home assistant living place. And they threw a birthday party for John, the guy in the wheelchair in the middle. Now John, pretty you've, you, many of you know John, John Newkirk, he's part of our church, he's been a part of our family for a long time now. John really doesn't have physical family. He does actually have some, but we, we've never been able to identify him or find him. He can't find him. So he, do, he doesn't have any family. This is the family that he's part of right here. And last week, me, I didn't do anything with this. I just showed up and ate the food. But last week, this for me was a picture of getting to be part of a family that's deeper than most of what your families, like your physical family, would do for you on your birthday. My birthday came around today, this past, you know, July. My mom and dad, they didn't drive down from Wisconsin to, to be here. And I love my parents and they love me, but they didn't come and throw me a party or something. And yet complete strangers just six years ago, now under the blood of Christ and being part of his family, give up their Sunday afternoon to come together and celebrate and be with and enjoy spending time just being. Is there maybe something deeper than your broken family? Is there maybe, some, is there maybe a family that's deeper than kind of bloodline? Some of you really know what I'm talking about because you really don't have physical family. And so you're like, yeah, church is my church family. Some of you are, you have really close connections in family relationships and everything's actually really good and you struggle with making family an idol. That would actually, that which would be a sense of uh, identity or worth for you. That's my particular struggle. My family's not all crazy messed. I mean, it is. It's messed up in its own way, but it's messed up in that I would turn my family into an idol. 
Some of you are repulsed by your family and you're like, can't stand them, but I have to kind of be with them forever. And, and so we're all, we're all part of messed up families. See, that's the point is it doesn't matter how you kind of struggle with it. We're all messed up in our families. And all of a sudden, it's a realization that we all need God to be building the house and not so focused on me building the house. I got to do what I have to do with my family, uh, raising them up in the Lord. I'm going to continue to follow what Scripture says to me as a dad and as a husband. I'm going to try to love Jackie as Christ loves the church, even though that's almost impossible is how it feels. Not because you're unlovable, babe, but just that sounded bad. Because, no, that sounded bad. That's just a heart. That can be like Christ loved the church. Wow, that I'm digging now. Shoot. I'm digging. That's not the way that was supposed to come off. I didn't mean it like that. I didn't mean it like that at all. I didn't mean it like that at all. Flowers are in the future. You're right. But we get to be part of a family that's deeper. That's all. God's doing something even bigger and greater. You look around at the strangers around you. In Christ, we're part of a family, though, where we care for each other, where forgiveness and love and mercy is center, where Jesus is king and our brother, where we are royalty, princes and princesses of God's family. And it's, it's through faith in Jesus that this comes about. And so today, if you're not part of that family, you actually can trust in Jesus and you're in the family. You can go to the waters of baptism and come up in new birth and be part of his family. You can trust in him right now and be part of that family. That's for you today, freely. And it's nothing that you did. It's all his work. It's all the pronouns, all the, the personal singular pronouns are God's. His work, his activity. And he centers us on that today. And he reminds us of that today. So today, if, you're, if your family is crazy messed up and you need counseling, go get the counseling. I'm not, saying don't, I'm not saying there's not steps we take or anything like that. But I want you to hear something that when you someday take your last breath, you're about to take your last breath. If in that moment you're like really happy with where your family is, or if in that moment your family is crazy screwed up and messed up, my prayer is that the thought that goes through your mind isn't either of those, but that it's on God and what he's doing and what he's allowed you to be part of. A family that goes on for eternity. It goes on for eternity. It changes everything. It changes everything. Everything gets changed. Now the way I treat people, like a brother, a sister, my kids even. My, yes, they're my son, but he's also my brother in Christ. All sorts of dynamics start to shift and change. My wife is my wife, yes, but she's also my sister in Christ. In this weird, that's maybe kind of gets weird, you know, but you know what I'm saying? <laughs> that's for you today.
That's for every single person in this room. It's for you, and it's because of what Jesus has done for you. Let's pray. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this message that speaks to us today, uh, however it spoke to us. I, I don't know exactly where every situation is. I do know some very specific stuff in this room um, regarding some of what I said, and I do know there's a lot of people that would say, yeah, my family's really messed up. And, and Lord, for that person in the room who's feeling like that, I thank you for the incredible hope that we have, the credible promise that we have, that we get to be connected to some, a family line that's bigger, that's greater than even our bloodline. Thank you, Jesus, that that comes freely. We don't have to do anything to receive that. We get to get it free because you've paid the ultimate price. Thank you for that, God. Thank you for that work. Thank you for that reminder today that even as broken as David was, he even got to be connected to a greater family line. That even he got to be forgiven and receive grace and receive mercy. Even as broken and as messed up as David was. I thank you for that, Lord, because when I, when I read those stories in the Bible, I'm like, okay, whew, at least you kept loving him. At least you kept loving her. At least you kept doing it because if you can love them, then you can keep loving me. I just thank you for that, Lord. We praise you that we get to be part of a family uh, that's, that's so much deeper. Thank you for that, Lord. Give, per, give that person the strength and the courage who needs it today to, to take kind of that step in the direction of just saying, Lord, I trust in you. Give that person strength today. Give that person courage today. Move them, stir in them by the working of your spirit. Please, God, do that work that only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen.